Aloha friends, it's Robert Stelic. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Planet Show, which I produce right here in my home office in the garage. This is my little recording studio right here. And today's guest is none other than Mark Rappahorst. On this show, I interview wing foil athletes, designers and thought leaders, and ask them in-depth questions about wing foil equipment and technique. I'm also trying to get to know my guests a little bit better, find out about their background, how they got into the sport, and what inspires them, and how they live their best life. I realize these interviews are really long and not everybody has time to watch the long videos. I personally like the visuals. I'm a visual learner, so that's why I add the video. But if you don't want to sit there and watch video for an hour and a half, you can also listen to these shows as a podcast. Just search for The Blue Planet Show on your favorite podcast app and you can listen to it while you're driving or on the go. Today's guest is none other than Mark Rappelhorst, the founder of SIC Sandwich Isle Construction and now Flying Dutchman Foilboard. So some really cool insight into his background, how he grew up in Holland and moved to Maui when he was only 16 years old and then got into the business of building boards and how he loves tinkering and experimenting and 80% of his experiments fail but 20% are the ones that make all our lives a little bit better. So thank you Mark for doing all that research and experimentation that benefits all of us. He gives us some really good insights into wing foiling, downwind foiling, foils in general, board design and so on. So I really appreciate Mark sharing his time and also for sharing details about his personal life and living life to the fullest and basically following your dream and finding a balance between working hard, doing what you love, but also enjoying life and kind of having some free time and not having all the stress of running a business, which I can totally relate to, Mark. So thanks again for your time. And without further ado, here is Mark Rappahorst. Okay, Mark Rappahorst, welcome to the Blue Planet Show. How are you doing today? All good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I talked to previously, I talked to Alan Cadiz and Kane the Wild on the interviews, yep. and they both mentioned you as someone I should talk to probably, and okay. that they, they're both used your boards for wing foiling and really liked them and so on. Stoked to have you here. And I think you're probably one of the most knowledgeable guys in, in the industry about when it comes to board building and design. So I'm really impressed by what you've done over the years, but can you talk a little bit about your background, like where you're from and how you got into water sports and how you ended up on Maui? I grew up sailing with my dad in the Netherlands and that soon turned into windsurfing. We're talking 1984. And I learned how to build custom boards in the Netherlands in Scheveningen. I want to pursue that career more so, not just by sanding and glassing, but more shaping. I left the Netherlands when I was a little grommet, maybe seven, I think I was 17, got here and ultimately was given the opportunity to learn how to shape for a company by the name of Angulo Hawaii. Became a production shaper for 10 plus years and went on my own, started the repair shop first called Dinkings and then branched out into building outrigger canoes, which is really a hollow object. It's not really a custom styrofoam shape for, built from the inside out, but more from the outside in. 
And that morphed into SUP boards, first hollow, and then later on styrofoam cord. That morphed into hydrofoil boards and wingfoil boards. Wow. So you, did you say you came, went to Maui when you were 17 years old? Actually 16, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've been here for 35 years, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I, I guess in growing up in Holland and, and yeah, like I have a similar background. I, I grew up in, in Berlin and I learned to windsurf. And then my dream was to co- go to Hawaii and I ended up on Maui for three years and then Oahu. But what, I don't know. Yeah. What at 16 years old, like how, what made you go to Maui? I was just uh, super excited about the water sports and those days windsurfing. And I was hitting a, um, and then end wrote at the part-time job that I had in the Netherlands. I was already building boards part-time when I was out of school. And then I quit school and because I was stubborn and I already left my parents' place early for situations that I won't go into. But anyway, I was pretty independent. My two sisters that part raised me were also travelers. And so they encouraged me go hit the road, explore. And in those days, at that age, you don't have many belongings. So leaving was pretty easy. It's not like you have the house, mortgage, car. You just have, I don't know, everything fit in one suitcase. So I left and never came back. Wow. So I remember when I first came to Maui, you couldn't, I couldn't rent a car because you had to be 21 and I couldn't drink or couldn't do much of anything really. So how did you, did you know anybody on Maui that helped you out or how did you get around? And there's no buses on Maui. So how did you do that? <laughs> I forged my driver's license. I drilled <laughs> out the pictures of, of some type of ID and with the rivets, I put in my own ID and my own picture. So I took, I think my sisters or something. And for two years, I drove around illegally basically, but I did get pulled over once or twice, but the police force at that time without the World Wide Web was like, what kind of driver's license is this? And they would always scold me for not having an international driver's license. I begged for forgiveness. They let me go. They couldn't be bothered. And off I went. But it was different times, though. And then you can't get away with that stuff now. But I did then because you're right. right. You, just, you have to have a car here. And that's how I got around. Bought an old Maui cruiser, which is pretty common too. Drove around <laughs> uninsured, which nobody should do anymore right now. But yeah, they were more the Wild West those days. Yeah, back then, nobody locked their cars on Maui either. You just left the oh, car locked because nope. it was you didn't want someone to break your window, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. It's interesting that you've experienced that as well. So you probably do not sound surprised. Yeah. And even the locking, in the last 10 years, I started locking my car, but that was not required either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I remember your, the dinking shop being down by close to the airport by where Costco and so on is now. So was that your first location or? First location. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then why did you have to move from there to upcountry where you are now? My landlord, A&B, was making, I don't know what I paid in rent, such a minuscule amount that I paid. And then Costco came around and they said they wanted a, a giant parking lot. So 
it's just dollar numbers. They wanted me out. And I basically was there for the last five years of that, just to make sure that the squatters wouldn't move in. It was an old building from the 40s. It was an old train, train station. And as long as I paid uh, liability insurance and kept the squatters out and uh, paid some rent, they were happy. But everything got more serious, including somebody willing to pay serious dollars for that nice piece of real estate. And I wasn't it. So out I went. But so now that your spot where you are now, you said you can walk from your house to work. Well, it's a little confusing. Uh, so I relocated to a place in Haile Miley, which is technically a Makawao area. And I built up uh, my shop in an old pineapple facility. And it I ran that over there for three years. But then I wasn't enjoying my, my reality of having a bunch of employees and running production. So I sold the shop and I sold it to the people that bought the company SIC that I also started. And that was great. No more employees because that is an effort to insurance, liability, this and that. You're probably familiar with it at times, but it, I was over it. And I haven't owned it for so most likely like six, seven years. And the shop that I'm talking about where I walk to is on my property in Haiku. And it is a big steel warehouse that it's just me in there. And occasionally I get help from somebody vacuum bagging but okay so basically right now your shop is on your own property you can just walk walk from your house to your shop and work and then when the epoxy is curing you can go back to your house and kick back yes. and relax for a while yeah that's pretty awesome my, my reality is like i wake up pretty damn early in the morning i wake up around four hang out with uh, my wife, I usually read in the morning and then right around six, I, I walk down, I, I do a step or two or come up at nine and have breakfast. Either I go surf or I look at the wind. If the wind's up lately, I go wing foil and then I come home around three or so and I do one more step on whatever I started in the morning because the, the resin I use usually takes about five, six hours to, uh, to cure. Um, that would be my day, like six hours of work and three, four hours of play. That sounds like a great way to do it. Yep. Awesome. Do you have a certain routine in every morning that you, that you do? I don't know. I, I, I always like to ask people that. Yes, I do. Lately, I, I try to avoid the news a little bit because it, it, it's hard to uh, stay positive when you read the same stories over and over again. So it's either a good book or yeah, I'm a coffee fanatic. So it, it usually requires two, three cups of coffee to get me rolling. I read all kinds of stuff. Right now I'm into uh, the Viking sagas, and but it can be political, historical. Uh, I get the Atlantic once a week. So it is, there's so much to read and so little time. And... But I get antsy around eight o'clock or so, and I need to, to start moving. And it, it depends a little bit. Winter months, I would try to get out the, the door maybe at seven or so to go surf. But this time of year, when the surface is often blown out here, I'll stay home till nine or 10 and maybe wing foil. Yeah. My wife and I do this together. It's fun. 
it's pretty addictive. At times it's frustrating because it's always something new to learn or equipment to figure out. And when I go out, it's half the time it's homework for me and half the time it's fun. It's, I'm always tinkering and know that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. So there'll be always some little tweak that I think about, but that's just the nature of uh, a designer and shaper. Yeah, but it's nice if you can combine your passion with your job. That's how it is for me too. It's yeah, yeah. yes, it's fun when you can do something fun for work. So <laughs> yes. can't complain yes. about so that. Yeah, no complaints here. So yeah. right now, your biggest um, passion is is wing foiling. That's what yeah, you I'd say most. so. Well, my my very biggest, but I don't do it enough, is downwind SUP foiling. Um, right. But it takes half a day, and it's something that you do on your own. You can even go with people, but. Uh, out in the big blue, I find myself alone. Once you're up on a foil, you don't really stop and look around for your buddies that you left with because it's sometimes hard to get back up. And um, like SUP or, or Outrigger, is some, it's a run that you can more easily do with people. But the downwinding on an SUP on foil is, I don't know, it takes four or five hours by the time you're done with the logistics. And I'm often quite tired too. It, I'm getting better at not um, being exhausted. But man, I remember the early days when I learned with Alan Cadiz and Ken Winner. It was like, oh. It's, it's hard work, yeah, getting up. It's, on it's hard work, yeah. And now I learned how to pick my, my, my conditions. But at times we would pick the wrong conditions and it's a frustrating affair. Mm-hmm. yeah it can be yeah yeah but yeah that's one of the nice things about wing foiling is that you're you always have the power when you need it so yes. you don't have to yes. you don't have to muscle up onto the foil so I like that for sure especially yeah. here on oahu we don't get as much wind as you do on maui's yes. so is is this your current shop here in the in yes. this video that okay. yeah that's the property we live on yeah. uh building i put up and the beauty about it is like in a way, if I don't use it for a couple of days, I don't feel guilty. Like in the old shops, I knew rent had to be paid, insurance and all that. And so there was a certain, you know, grind that I felt like I was obliged to keep pumping out boards. Now I pump out boards because the demand is, is really high, but yes, rent is minimal. So, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely nice to lower your overhead and not have so many responsibilities for sure. I, yes. I feel the same way. We went from being open seven days a week to five days a week. And I don't think I ever want to go back to seven days a week. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems crazy to, to do that if you don't have to. Yes. But let's go back to you growing up in the Netherlands. Yes. Do you have an early childhood memory? Some, like a time you remember where this, I love this, like being in the water or, or I guess, sailing or windsurfing or where you knew that this is your passion. This is what you want to do for the rest of your life. Yeah, the, the windsurfing thing is it, it was almost a national sport in the Netherlands, probably the same in Germany. Yeah. In the heydays, one out of four families had a windsurf board. The Hawaiian guys that would come for the World Cup were like gods to little grums like me. The, the Cabrina, Nash, Guerra guys were like, wow, here they are, legends. And so I was always curious. I'm like, wow, what's, uh, what is it like in Hawaii? And I, I particularly recall Pete Cabrina being real down to earth and, and mentioning like, well, 
if you really want to try it out, pack your bags and go. And I recall writing to the owner of of custom shop at the time here called High Tech. And the owner was uh, Greg Masonville. So I'd write him and he I was blown away. They would actually write back a handwritten letter saying, it's nice that you want to come here and, and I appreciate that you have skills, but we can't just hire somebody in the Netherlands that's 15 years old and that says that they can hold an angle grinder and, uh, and, a, and a plastic squeegee. You have to show up and see how this works out. And half a year later, I sold what I had, which wasn't much, saved a couple dollars and packed my bag and left. But the attitude here is, man, if you can, if you want to work, there's plenty of work, you can make it work. And I love that opportunity. As in Germany, everything is spoken for, legalized. You need a permit to just about breathe. And that's how it is in the Netherlands. And here is, oh, you want to work? You know how to do it? Here you go. And it, it was just a lot more simple. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And then how did you get that job with Angulo's or the Angulo factory? I first worked for a guy named Mike Tingler that made the Tingler tail and Jimmy Lewis. They showed me a lot of the tricks of the trade. And at the time, Angulo would only shape his boards. But the thing to do was you shape the boards and you bring it to a glass shop. And I worked at the glass shop at the time that Angulo would drop his boards off. And so I kind of got an in at the, from that Genesis glass shop that I worked for. I do recall Ed seeing, uh, he saw me grinding his boards and he was like, who's this young kid? No flip-flops, bare chested, little paper mask on grinding my fin boxes of my boards. It's quite reserved and didn't quite care for it but i proved my my knowledge and my attitude was fine and finally squeezed myself into his shop because the glass shop uh, at the very end didn't work out so he started his own basically do it all in-house which made sense because the company was growing and yeah yeah awesome and then when you when did you start SIC? What when was that? Boy, I want to say. Oh man, my memory is, is bad. That since two thousand four or five, okay. been a while. So that was before stand up paddling was really became popular, right? Yes, it was. It was with outrigger canoes. I learned how to build outrigger canoes, and right around that time, I. Yeah, I decided, uh, okay, it's either going to be outrigger canoe that I'm going to pursue or stand up paddling. And I was like, all right, there's this surfing thing is more interesting. There was more growth in it. And I wanted to just build better boards that can beat outrigger canoes. And that was my passion is just build long boards with steering systems in it. And we're going to go down the coast and, and beat the Kai Bartlett's in the world, which we never managed, but we got close. That's awesome. And then stand-up paddling came around and you started building hollow stand-up paddle race boards, right? Yes. Yes. I knew that if I built complicated objects that are very large, I can stave off and, and hold back Asia production for a bit. 
it's hard to pay everybody that wants to work here 30 bucks an hour and run an operation and just still beat Asia prices that are that are flooding the market. Because I've seen that that syndrome in the windsurfing days. So you can build a really nice board, but at some point, the stuff that's built overseas is such good quality and, and an unbeatable price that the end days are there. And so when I build a, a pretty complicated type of of means of building a hollow board that's really long and still lightweight and had the right shape, I was in business. And so that kept me going for quite some time. You were in that position where you were able to get the best riders in the world to use your boards without paying them. People were actually buying the boards from you because just because that was the fastest thing out there. And if they weren't on one of your boards, it wasn't competitive. Yes. It was a luxury position. I was there early and the product was good. And yeah, the whole quest, uh, the M2O got me out there on the world and the map. I branched out and made different types of board. The, the 12.6 became popular real soon. So worked on that. My passion always remained though. The downwind stuff was like, that's where I want to excel. And still, still my, my escape in the big blue is, is where uh that's my thing and you're saying it was hard to compete with uh, asian production and so on so is that one of the reasons why you ended up selling sic or what happened there why did you sell it and how did that all work work out no my 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 forte what i'm good at is tinkering and figuring out the next best thing i was forced to become a businessman hire people and think about expansion because the, the demand was there, but I didn't enjoy it. My most, funny enough, my most miserable times running a business is, was when the company was most successful, but all I do was delegate and make decisions and think about the next best thing to keep employees, keep that grindstone going. And so I recognized that and it's like, man, why not? give that 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 drive to somebody else that loves to expand a business and at the time i met a guy anthony scuturo that wanted to run his uh, snowboard operations 365 days a year so have a, a ski season and then a summer season with something else and he loved doing that part his expansion uh, conquering the world and so we met up and we made, a, I think, a really good team. He ran with it and made it really big. And I stayed on as a designer. I was more happy because I was able to let go of a bunch of employees and, and spend more time figuring out, okay, what's the next best thing? So are you now still a partner, like a minority partner, or are you just an employee of the of SIC? Like you uh, just a designer, or are you still a part owner? Neither. I'm, the cons I'm a consultant. Uh, I do three quarters of the design of the models. They're happy with me. I'm happy with them. If, they're, if one day they're not happy with me, I probably am asked to leave. But so far, so good. It's been uh, almost eight or 10 years or something. I forget how long, but all good. They're happy with me. The company has switched ownership once. It was part of the Shirio group, which owns JP, New Pride, Cabrina. And those days, imagine, anyway, a bunch of holdings that they had. And now we're part of the, we were part of the big sports group. 
and that really got sold again. Now we're part of Tahe, and within all those changes, I, I remain on board as a consultant for uh, SUP and now Foil. Nobody can argue with uh, that your boards don't work. They obviously perform yes. well, and and the top riders are winning races and stuff like that. So that's that's awesome yes. that you can continue that legacy and live the life you want to live. So that's yeah. that means a lot. So now your business is Flying Dutchman, right? Yes, I start there. They allowed me to have a side brand on my own, and I still consult with SIC, design the boards, do photo shoots, do whatever uh, they require of me and what's in my job description. But on the high-end stuff and the custom stuff, they also allowed me to express myself in that brand, Flying Dutchman. Yeah. So this, this is one of the latest boards you've, you've built here, a wing foil board? Yes, wing foil. That one is 5.11 by 30 for a bigger gentleman, 130 liters, I believe. Yes, it is. It says there, right there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Bill, this is uh, Pono Bill on the stand-up yes. zone. I think I think yeah. you posted that one on there too. And, yes. and here's another one with a windsurfing track as well, wing foiling. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks like, from looking through your feet a little bit, it looks like the bottom shapes you simplified it from earlier designs where you had. Let me see here. You had more like these grooves in the bottom and things like that. So, what's your latest? philosophy on on shapes and oh and i also i wanted to ask you about these huge vent plug things um, so talk okay, a little bit about okay. the board design yeah. and and yeah let's start with that board design in the board that currently is showing has a, a center channel that allow me to angle the fin boxes further forward so it has a more 90 degree angle to basically of where you're standing i'd like my 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 mass to be at the right position so it doesn't suck down into the board on takeoff and mm -hmm. i initially thought those that center channel was going to be good when you're paddling out on an sup in the shallow area the paddle blade would lock in and you can paddle for a little bit but that end up not being a good reason to build those channels in there. But anyway, they do allow me to have some natural rocker in the tail end of the board, but that center channel, I straighten out again. So it moves my mast in a more optimum angle. And then those, uh, those sight on that blackboard that you just saw, I was trying to find a better way to, to make the board less sticky on occasional touchdowns. So experimenting with different ways to have less water wrap around the surface of the bottom so when you touch down the water is not happy adhering everywhere it's more of a disturbance of of the water flow it ended up being a pain in the butt to build all those little <laughs> angles so sometimes you got to do a bit of a reality check what's feasible and what's what still makes a bit of money and and then playing with convex bottoms came the wild one of the board with more of a rounded bottom that particular board has a convex bottom for easy takeoff. That's an SUP board down the coast, and it seemed to work. It uh, it doesn't it doesn't stick so well when you have low speed. It has disadvantages too. I think when you do touch down, stick a little bit to it. It like wants to wrap around the entire bottom. But for downwind SUP on foil, the most important, the very most important thing is ease of takeoff. 
because you can do a run and if your buddies are on uh, on foil and you're not you can be two miles behind and that's super frustrating so i moved yeah. my fin, i moved my fin boxes way forward so you can stomp on the tail and do an easy lift and a bit of a convex bottom yeah and in, in this description you said it's inspired by actually prone board shapes right the kind of that convex rounded bottom tin tail and fat nose is, is a lot like prone race foil uh prone race yes boards. yes if you think about it i i shaped quite a few prone boards in those days i never even thought about that but yeah you need some glide forward to get on foil and and so whatever it is to help you out is and prone guys they move at relatively low speeds too so mm. yeah you do sacrifice some stability but you do it does help you lift up. Awesome. So I, I, I saw this video here too. Was this uh, when it was raining really hard, like a month ago or so? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So my shop is in the, in it. Actually, if you had another half a mile down, if you had a view, my shop is in the bottom of where all this water is going. Oh. And, but there's 20 more properties with this amount of water. So my shop was a disaster, but it was still there at the end of a couple of days. But yeah, I parked it at a wet spot on the property, but it's, I also wanted to put it somewhere away from my house. I didn't want to smell here or, or anything. So for sure. Yeah. We had some rain. Yeah. I'm sure you guys did too. Yeah. It was pretty bad flooding here too. We had actually sewage on our street. <laughs> oh, we have like lovely, a pretty low-lying lane, so it was like, oh, the sewage was overflowing. And it was pretty yeah. disgusting. Yeah. But so what is this? It says this was an experiment you tried. Yeah. I, you think of, I was struggling in the days of downwinding to lift off. And so I was like, man, we need two foils in one. We need something that lifts up easy. But, and so I figure a big front wing is going to, uh, it's going to help me get on foil. But then once you're up to speed, you want a tiny wing because you want to replace all that lift with forward momentum. No rocket scientry, airplanes do it. We all do it. Even boats do it. But this idea is spring loaded. And so that doesn't work because you need to be able to manipulate that flap. And it's also the left and right are independent. And so you really need a servo motor and all that. And it just became too complicated. And yeah, it, it, the, I, the I benefits... think there's actually a company that's trying to do like computer controlled foils that have that kind of lift control or something. But yeah, I could see how the, if the spring loaded, if you're trying to pump up, it'll flatten out the, it'll flatten it out. So it doesn't yeah. really work as well. Yeah. Yeah bunch of work and most of the, I work on, I continuously work on stuff and 80% of it doesn't work and 20% does. And that's how I often operate. I'm not really, I don't have, I'm not an engineer. I'm not, some people think I'm talented, but not really. I just try a lot and I am persistent and 20% works and that, that makes it somehow either into the marketplace, or at least for me, gives me an edge on my product that I bring out. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. That's what we need. And it's, and I talked to, you know, several other people about that too. You can't really predict how some, something is going to work 
until you're actually trying it. And if you never try something, you can't discover something new that works. So you just have to experiment. Yes. And so do you. And so do we all. And I, I like people that are tinker and try and yeah. But sometimes okay. people think like, like whatever you come up with it. Oh, so it's magic. It's like, no, not 80% is crap. Gotta try it. <laughs> <laughs> you tried it and it didn't work the other thing too is sometimes you think something doesn't work but then it's maybe something else so you, yes if you change two variables you don't really know which one works and which one doesn't so it's almost like you have to test only one variable at a time really to figure things out agreed and uh, so what is your latest if you made yourself a new wing board today what would you shape and how what would it look like i would go back to what i shaped for andrea muller about four months ago it's a convex bottom but it has uh, a section on the rails on the bottom it has a slight bit of uh concave in it i think what's happening is when you pump the the three or four pumps that you do before takeoff you want the water to not, not wrap around the deck and, and you want crisp edges too upon touchdown if you occasionally, which we all occasionally do. And so it's not really pictured there, but I would, it's a lot like this board that is for Kane. It's the white point forward, pretty narrow tail, probably 6'1 or 6'2. I want some length for downwinding. Are you talking about this one here? Yes. So that okay. one's six, that one's five uh, eleven or six foot. A high high bow volume, medium rocker, but the bottom is is a little bit more complicated than this one is. Yeah, so six one six two, maybe twenty five. I don't really have great balance out on the paddling out of Maliko. I don't want to paddle out on my knees or on my stomach. A lot of young kids now do. They ride boards that are twenty two inches wide. SUP can't do it so i want to stand up and even when the wind dies or something i want to comfortably paddle into the shoreline on my feet not on my stomach so you're talking about stand-up foiling now or wing stand up stand up, stand -up foiling. Foiling. yeah no okay. Wing, okay. wing foiling I, I write quite different boards now we we're getting to the point where the rockers are different the outlines volume distribution straps fin box placement they're all quite different now before right. you can mix and match and you still can you can wing foil on an sup board but the sport is getting sophisticated enough to where they get their own dedicated design going yep. yeah so for wing foiling what's your what's your perfect setup for that like five foot by 25 i ride single strap on the front only a bit of a contoured deck but flat decks work as well i'm 180 pounds i write 80 liter boards because i still like to stand up when i i don't water start all that much and that that is too much volume for water starting yeah okay and um and, so and pretty, actually kind of so what you use for wing foiling is pretty similar to what your stand-up paddle board would be yeah like stand-up surfing board no, the, the stand-up surfboards, oh. mine are 28, yeah? Yes, yeah. they're quite a bit wider. And they are 5'8", 5'6", 5'8", because we got to get to the outer reefs, like um, outside Ka and or like Pier 1 or Outer Sprex. You need to paddle for three quarters of a mile. And so the shorter the board, the more they're like a skimboard and no directional stability. So they are they have some more length to them to get there. My, right. my SUP foil boards. 
Yeah. And then I've noticed, so you said you use the front strap only. Is, is this one of your boards? Oh, with a cork yes. deck, huh? Yes. I've noticed yeah. your, your front strap is like really, it's like more than 45 degree angle there. You just like to have your front foot pointing pretty far forward with your toes forward. I, I, I've gone away from that, actually. That is that board is a year old, but now okay. I'm more, more at a 30 degree. So quite a bit different angle, actually. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know where I saw it, but somewhere I saw you had a board that has a, it has a removable deck pad oh, or something. Like it's part of my Instagram post, I think. Um, yeah. Trying to find it. Um, I, I have it back here. Um, if you want me to show you, it's an idea I have. I'll talk about it first and I'll grab it. Okay. So when I take an order, it's a fairly long discussion when I ask details about footstrap placement. There'll be people that are saying, yeah, I, I want V configuration, but I also am goofy foot and I might do toe side. And so I don't blame people, but it's you can put an endless amount of straps in it. And, and nowadays too, wing foil, you have narrower stance than SUP. And you have, again, a different stand for downwinding. So it's like, ah. How, how do I, how many inserts do I put in the board? So I came up with an idea of putting an indentation in the board, in the shape, a quarter inch, and I make a plate that is screwed onto the, the board and it has an, a, a large amount of holes in it. You can remove the plate, stick an excerpt on the back end of that plate. And so you have all these choices in footstrap placement. I'll show it to you in a minute. But again, it's one of those ideas you really need to tool up and do that in a more economic fashion because it took me forever to build a product right. like it. And at the end of the day, I don't need to get rich and, and rake in all the dollars, but I do want to play even at least when I run my, my business. So it's yeah. just not economic. And also, if you had to change your straps, you had to move these this whole plate off in order to stick another excerpt in the back end of it. Let me see if I can grab the board and explain it. It's sure, yeah, I'll wait. All right, so Mark's gonna grab a board to show us. All right, there it is. That's the board you're using right now? So, yeah, so it has, this plate is actually a quarter inch deep. I don't know if you can really see it, but it has a bunch of inserts holding the plate back. Yeah, so I if can you see. want to change, if you want to change from goofy to regular, you got to remove this plate, stick a nut on the back end of that plate, and put the plate back down. But you do have a good amount of uh, choices in a pegboard for your garage where you can put all yep. your tools on the pegs. Yeah, <laughs> that's there's, pretty cool. There's quite a few positive aspects to it, uh, but the reality of making the economic. I don't know. Maybe somebody will. I'm not yeah. going to. <laughs> and you have to take out all those screws to, to move your foot strap a little bit. Yeah, uh, you can you can cheat by move. Uh, the plate is semi flexible. You can move, remove the maybe eight screws and okay. get, get your hand underneath it and and change the excerpt to uh, yeah. a different hole. That's ingenious. I like it. Very <laughs> cool. So, what material did you use for the for the plate? Is it like a carbon fiber or? Yeah, it's a, a layer of eighth of an inch PVC. 
and then one layer of polypropylene. Polypropylene, it's really shatterproof. It's not a fiberglass or carbon fiber, but it is a material that you can drill through. It's not even polypropylene. It's, it's a non-woven fiber that is good for micro-cracking and anti-shatter. And since there's so many holes there, that's a good material to use. And I mix it up with, with regular e-glass. E it's cork, polypropylene, PVC, and then carbon. And it has carbon bands in it as well to make it torque resistant. And then I have a little drill template to keep the, the hole symmetrical. And I make all that in a little mold and I wrap the EVA around it as well. That's another cool thing is like you can, the EVA that is glued onto this, this plate that I call it is wrapped around the rails. So I find that since I repaired so many boards in my early Dinkings days, I always see that EVA, the edges coming off because it's, when you load it up on a car or you climb on the board, the edges just roll off. And this way, this way is really glued on with, with epoxy and laminate and it, it's stuck really well. Yeah, I was hoping I can um, standardize it, order the plates from maybe China or wherever, some overseas company, and then I would have all my boards with that plate. But... I don't know. It's a one-man show that I run and, and I sometimes don't have room or time to expand on my, my ideas. But who knows? Maybe one day it comes back. My, my frustration is still there with inserts and the amount of stands that are, are going around. Lately, people yeah. want two, two parallel straps on centerline too. And it's, okay. You need quite a few inserts to, to get it right. Yeah, no, that's it for sure. On wing flow boards, we have a lot of inserts in our boards and it does add weight and more points of failure possibly and stuff like that, obviously. So yeah, putting just putting in more and more inserts isn't really the answer. So you just have to get them right, get it in the right spot. Yep. And they leak, they're their hard spot as you, and the, the rest of your deck flexes. And there they go, repaired millions. <laughs> so what about that those that plate could I guess if you put a like a little threaded insert into each of those holes, it would just add too much weight. Yeah, you... that would be really the next step. If somebody yeah. was if you give this idea to like a Japanese guy to Shimano or some German guy, they would do it, they would do that, and they would have an insert in it, a helicoil, and it would be taken to the next level. I think what I did is I bought a click bond excerpt and I stuck it literally with my hand underneath it. Mm. It's kind of Mickey Mouse. It needs to be taken to the next level. And that is that is that some threaded insert. That's how it all starts, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You're doing that. Very cool. So let's talk a bit about foils. I know you started distributing the Axis foils. How did that come about? Like, how did you become the distributor for Axis? I worked with the owner, Adrian Roper, for, I don't know, since 30 years ago when, he, when we both lived here. So I've known him for a long time. Integrity, he's smart, experienced, knows overseas production. And I find the Kiwis to be quite innovative and he had experience already with with kiting and foiling and then he started 
he called me up and said, yeah, we're going to do this line for SUP. You want to be involved? So in the early days, I was involved with the development. And then it all grew. And then he took over the development with a local team there and some Aussies. And it just made sense for me to stay on board and start selling them. Yeah, I needed something. I tried on my own a little bit, but you can't build boards and build foils. And because you can't really build them here, it's just too costly. I built a couple of foils myself and a front wing took me two weeks to build. <laughs> it would be, be a $5,000 wing or something like that. It'd be ridiculous. Yeah, I just started selling. It was good, affordable. I like the idea of components and interchangeable. Yeah. Plenty choices, yes. Yep. I'm sorry, but but for wing foiling, what wing do you use or which wings do you use? What's your favorite and what? Like we all did, we started big and thick and now we're going smaller and smaller and I've gone too small. Now I'm going in too much high aspect. I'm on a medium aspect now. I'm on an 810 on the line list. Uh, Or sometimes it's really windy. I go on a 700, which is, I don't know, 1,000 square centimeters. The 810 is maybe 1100. And the same with the mast. I've gone with from 42 inch down to 36. But lately I'm I'm quite happy with 33 inch. I don't plow into the reef as much. The stuff, my whole setup feels a little bit more rigid than the longer mast. And so a 33 inch mast, pretty small rear. What is that? 80 square or 60 square centimeters. I want a 420 in their line. And then a short fuselage. I tried ultra short. It's a bit nervous at higher speed, so uh, I, I like a little bit of length on my my fuselage for up and down pitch control. Yep. Yeah, yeah cool. That's a, I've been using that eight ten as well, the front wing, and that's awesome. I love that wing. It's, it has a lot of lift. Actually, like it at first, I was had a hard time controlling it because it kept lifting up. I had to move it way back in my box and stuff like that. But I think yes. it's because that black fuselage too is longer in the front, so puts the foil further in front of the mass. I, I did find it in the beginning a bit nervous, too sensitive to my, I'm not like a smooth, suave, cane the wild operator. I, I stomp around a bit on the board. And so the, at times I'll go back to a, the 700, but even then it, that is, is hard to write. And that's why There'll be sessions that I have as, oh man, sweet. I got it all figured out. I'm going to write it in my logbook. And this is what I'm going to write for a couple of months. And then the next day I'll go out and say, wait a minute. I was a rock star yesterday. And today I'm like a cook again. So there's so many fine nuances, even between medium tight and low tight. I sometimes think, oh, you're closer to the bottom of wherever you're writing and things press up onto your foil differently than the day before. Or there's, there's oil or contaminants on your foil where it's not riding the same way. Or it is, the day I tell myself, oh, I got it all figured out, is, is the next day I'm proven wrong. It's, there's a lot of nuances yeah. in this sport. That's for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Have you learned anything about the wings like that you, if you could design a wing or ask access to make a wing for you is there something you would change or like certain wing you would like to see in the future or something like that or any ideas you have for design 
No, I'm pretty for for my downwinding. I'm I'm really happy with the 980. Pretty versatile in in high wind. The I sometimes wish things would be I don't know adjustable on the go, but I wouldn't know how the engineering behind it is. But I know that most other sports where they hydrofoil things have control levels of some sort a moth or anything that has a pitch control to it but we don't have that luxury and as much as i want to tinker with it or ask adrian oh, how about this or that i see the kailenis in the world they make it work and it's like oh, it must be me the operator versus the equipment but i always think ah oh, if the equipment was I don't know, adjustable more. I like the pitch control idea on the rear wing. I do, I currently do it with pretty simple. I, I put some beer cans cut up into little snippets and I shim my, my rear foil by 64th or 32nd of an inch. And that much does change my behavior of my setup. Anyway, long story short. Actually, that's like? a little plastic shim too for the tail wing. As a, they have a little plastic shim you can put on. Yes, under I the find them to be a lot. It's too much. That, that is almost like one and a half millimeter. And yeah. I go in tiny increments and, and notice a difference. And I do it the opposite. I want less lift. If anything, oh, so I you always... put it in front of the tail wing on the front end. Yes, and they recommend in the rear but my angle of incidence is like i don't know if it's up to me i do one or two degrees and mm. they play with three or four mm. but i understand why if you do more you have i think in foiling the best way to do is if something has to win right the rear wing has to push the front wing up and if you do if there's not enough angle it's just too nerve-wracking but it's also faster so if you have less drag from the rear and it's easier to control when you're going really fast it's less like you breach right if you have less tailwing angle yes yes that's that's a night they're, yeah. they're much nicer at high speeds to yes that lower angle yeah but it is hard to harder to take off i guess on maui it's not as much of a problem when you have a windy day it's not, like taking off isn't so much of an issue right no windy, it's, yeah. it's not nope yeah no. All right. And then what about wings? What wings have you used? And I, oh yeah, I noticed too that SIC came out with their own wing. Do you have any involvement in that wing design or talk yeah. a little bit about the wings? Yes. So I help SIC with the, their feedback on their, on their wings. We work with a, a German company that has a lot of experience in the kite world. Their name is Core, C-O-R-E. Uh, they have a good in on really good fabrics and they, they design the wing. So I help them with the aspect of it, low, medium or high aspect in the wing foil and the handle placement, window, no window, all that stuff. It's not like I'm a designer and I don't know enough about wings to, to say this is what you should do. But I at least tell them yay or nay. The prototypes they send me, they send me the prototype straight from, I think it's Sri Lanka to here. And I write a report. And then they built another one. Yeah, I help with both the hydrofoil part and the wings themselves. Yeah. So what do you like or what do you think is important in, in the wing design? And what do you do to make it work well? So I'm personally not a speed demon. So I like I don't like my tips to drag too much. So 
in terms of aspect, I don't like it high aspect. I'm willing to sacrifice some speed and upwind ability for ease of use in the surf. I like an Australian brand by the name of Smick. They're lightweight. I think I would make building my own booms for that particular wing, but when push comes to shove, that's another project that's just too much work. So the handles, the webbing handles are fine by me for now. The, yeah, again, their fabric is pretty decent. I don't care for windows. They wear out too fast. I think in general, the earlier generations of wings out there are of a mediocre fabric quality and they bag too fast. They they form a cup right before the trailing edge. So you your wing might look good, but the feel of it, it doesn't have good release anymore. So a lot of wings... I get maybe a hundred hours out of them and then I don't know what to do with them. I give them 400 bucks to a friend or something, but they kind of worn out. get baggy and, and backwind on your kind of flap back at you when you go yeah, up. Yeah, flap and lots of pull, but no forward drive it, 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 to to summarize it. it they just you find this out. picture of you um, with a boom on your wing, but I don't know, I saw it somewhere. I like this one by Leonardo da Vinci. That's oh. one of your uh, influences. <laughs> yes, that was that's an amazing guy, huh? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yes, way ahead of his time. There's one of them I see there, an early version, the white one. Oh, this one. Okay. Yes, that is my, uh, so, yeah. the first generation. <laughs> so you worked obviously as a longtime windsurfer like me. Um, having a boom is just seems more natural than having handles so is that yes. why you wanted to try out uh, a more rigid boom type of thing yeah that and when you're learning tricks and fumbling with your your transitions it i think a four foot piece of pipe is just easier to find than than the webbing and it's easier on my fingers and for my wife who's a massage therapist and I have has beaten up Finger joints, the boom is also easier than the webbing. And I think for downwinding too, for ultimately for control in just give yourself just a tiny bit more horsepower, I think the boom is better than the than the webbing because you can kind of turn it on maybe 10, 15% by pitching the, um, the handle better. Yeah, but I do have, I, I built some other ones that are uh, even more ergonomic than that first generation, but Again, you got to all build it in a fashion that, that makes economic sense. Uh, and since I'm not, I'm a composite guy, I'm not a sale guy, but I did want to try it and learn from it. Yeah. So talk about this. Is this a mo hollow molded foil board? Is that what you're building there? Yep. Yep. And so the um, only foam inside is where the inserts go, where the screws inserts go? or what? Yes, where your heels go and where the fin boxes and inserts go. There's that uh, blue insulation foam. Mm -hmm. Yep. And everything. I'm trying to build a board that's a little bit more environmentally green. The amount of waste I produce is staggering on a custom board. It's we're in a disgusting industry, and so when I look at the waste going into a, a hollow molded board, it's very minimal. I can put every little scrap piece of cloth in there. I use virtually every single inch of that blue foam. It doesn't absorb water. It's well sealed. The gel coat's tough, but obviously you're stuck into one model. And the industry's and what is hip today is outdated tomorrow. So it's hard to build uh, a bunch of molds to satisfy that demand. 
for sure. Especially foiling is still so young, I think, and changing so fast that um, definitely changing. Yeah. Oh my God. It, fashion, so it's, it's hard to. Just about changes daily. Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's a matter of what's popular too. Whatever the, the top guys are riding, that's what everyone else wants to be on. And they think they're going to be better if they have that same board, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, so what, what's your philosophy on that? A lot of times I, I see people spending so much money on equipment and then they think I'm going to just buy it. My board is too heavy. I need a lighter board so I can take off easier or whatever. And then they spend even more money to buy another board and instead of maybe taking a lesson for a few hundred dollars. So I don't know. What, what's your take on that? I, I think sometimes people put way too much importance on the equipment and not enough about it's, it's just like easy to blame it on the equipment and not your own skills. I, I agree. Yeah. And I tell people too, man, maximize what you own right now and don't order anything from me or anybody else for that matter till you have outgrown it. Cause obviously I like money and I like to take orders and I, and I have a certain pride in making a product, but I don't need the work. I, I, I just want the work, but yes, I encourage people to either rent a book. For one, in my, my custom boards, I, I hardly ever build a board that's for a first time user. It's usually people's third or fourth purchase because they already yeah. know a little bit about the sport. And then they're like, okay, I need better performance. I need something tailored to me. And that, that includes colors and, and insert placements and, and stuff. But, and obviously my stuff is quite a bit lighter out there than whatever's available. But some beginner guy should be happy with a fiberglass board and, uh, and a thick foil and, uh, and learn on that. I was, works fine, worked fine for me. Till you get better and, and want to take it to the next level, only then losing a few pounds and then having it shorter makes sense. Yeah. yeah, definitely for the high performance guys, it makes sense to get the the best you can buy. You don't want to be, I guess, like in stand-up paddle racing, I always used to say you don't want to lose because you didn't have the right equipment. So you want to be on whatever the best equipment is. And in racing, sometimes it comes down to just a few seconds. So having that yes. small advantage can make it a big difference. Yeah. But if you're just cruising for fun, then I think just make whatever you have work and learn and before you, until what you, what the next step is and what you need next yeah. and then get a good board. Don't get an expensive board as a beginner board for sure. Yeah. Do you have any other tips for people that are getting into it? A lot of people that are watching are actually just getting into it or don't even have any equipment yet and so on. So what, what, pointers we have for someone starting out yeah i taught my wife day one and two was on an sup board a nine foot board big thing uh learn wing control the, the wing above the water learn about that but at some point you got to get away from uh something without the foil and then i don't know day number three four five harbor talented or conditions are a short mast a big front wing a pretty long fuselage big rear too if you can borrow or rent, good, because you're going to outgrow that equipment in no time. But baby steps after that, and then slowly start going smaller front, slowly replace the, the lift with speed. But it would be nice if you can find to borrow stuff or I don't know, because the stuff that you learn on is you're going to outgrow it really fast, but there's no way you can learn on advanced equipment because uh, it doesn't have enough lift and 
the masks are too long. So if you can take a lesson and, and the school has equipment available that's good for learning, you're financially better off and you can learn faster by having a forgiving equipment that includes the board. If you're, I think 130 liter board is, is good for the first couple weeks, months. And then ultimately you can move into 100 liters, 80 liters or 50 liters, but baby steps. And it is a bit of a, kind of need the right equipment though to to do those baby steps and uh, a lot of people i feel like they there's a fear factor in, in the wings and, and and being able to get away from it if you fall i've never been hit by uh, a wing really and so maybe sharp edges are not a go i tried making wings with rubber front ends so if you get hit it doesn't hurt or doesn't cut you but it still really hurts if you uh, get hit with something with rubber on at a certain speed. You're talking uh, about the foil wing now, right? The, the yeah, the foil, foil wing. wing. Yeah, yeah, the foil wing. Falling away from the board, taking a lesson. And more than anything, I tell people when they learn is breed. It's a lot of the sport. This sport, I find it's about feeling. And it's not about muscle or trying harder. It's about feeling that, that piece of equipment underneath you. And what it does at certain speeds forward and, and relaxing. I think the foil, the hydrofoil also knows when, when your calves and your thighs are tensed up and, and things are not working, but the more relaxed you are, which is unfortunately in most sports, the truth, but this one, especially the harder to try, the worse it will get. And the more relaxed you are, the better you'll get it. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. Like I, I interviewed this guy, Sam Loader from New Zealand. He says through his shop, he's planning to uh, lease beginner wing foil boards to people so they can lease a board. And then once they're out, out of that beginner stage, then they can basically return it to the shop and they can lease it to someone else, which I thought was a good idea. It's, it's a nice thing for the sport eh? to have yeah. that option. Yeah. I think it's a uh, man. It, it, if you lived in an area what's that's forgiving for a uh, for learning we're stuck with a mediocre place for learning maui is a windy place but it's not a great place for learning because we're we we'll go to the harbor and it's blowing 10 knots and then just outside the spit here it's blowing 30 so it's gusty but uh, yeah if you lived in like barbados or wherever maybe even oahu i don't know where you guys i can see kailua being friendly for learning Kailua is really onshore and bumpy, so rough water. Oh. It's not okay. actually ideal for learning, I think. But we have this one place by Sand Island, which is like where the wind blows straight offshore and it's just like smooth water. And then there's like an island on the other side. So you can't blow, get blown out too far. Basically, you get to the other side and then you have to paddle back if you get blown offshore. So it's yes. pretty safe, and but the water's smooth and that's a good place to learn, except that it's pretty gusty too because it's offshore wind yes yeah and then yeah another good tip i think is to just go downwind have parked cars downwind and then just go downwind so you don't have to worry about staying upwind which is probably one of the hardest things to do at first yes yeah we all do the walk of shame whatever you call it and that's the beauty about the harbor at least the walk back is is not treacherous or along rocky cliffs it's just along a beach and but you all got to pay your dues and yeah yeah so what are you working on any new tricks or do you have anything that you can share like technique wise, like any 
good pointers and learning to jive or tack or learning tricks and moves and stuff like that. I'm learning the attack. Instead of bringing your wing above your head, you put it behind your back. So mm. it's a hand grab type of tack. But I got to work out the how I deal with my leash. I get tangled up with my leash. So I got to almost throw my leash behind my back and then I can do the attack because lately i've been practicing without a leash but that's irresponsible but the um, move by the way I, I actually made a video about that that the, i call it the behind the back tack where into attacking into the wave it's a really good move you know yes yeah. what do you do with your leash tell me like when i tack into the wave basically i have to tack back out of it like i have a waist leash so it the way the leash gets wrapped around me so then if i end up jiving out of it then I, I can't jive out of it. I basically have to tack back out of it. Like when I, I tack onto in, the wave, the and then if I tack back out again, then the wing, the leash goes out the same way it came in. Okay. So you live with the tangle for a bit for, for one. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then you have it on your wrist. You can maybe try to put it on the other wrist that you, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if that works. <laughs> I no, haven't really tried it. But yeah, if you have a waist leash, you can also... If once you're on the wave, you can sometimes get your hand underneath it and pull the leash over your head, and then you have it back in the normal position. Okay. Okay. I don't know. It's a, yep. But that's a tricky part of that move, yeah, for sure. Yep. And then it's time for me to learn how to uh, ride with a harness because uh, the upwind, the long reaches to go upwind to ultimately come downwind again is is a little hard on my on my forearms. We yeah. go I don't know three four miles upwind. It, it uh, takes a bit of uh, uh, grunt work. And do you, do you what, keep your feet in the same stance or do you switch stance on your board? Uh, I do both. I can do switch stand or uh, toe side. In toe side, when I go downwind or in the surf, I don't have time to switch. So I'll do toe side. But if I make long reaches, I you gotta you can't go upwind as well toe side. I find right. just the yeah. angle is not there. Why? I don't understand, but... It's like a 15 degree difference between toe side and natural stance uh, going upwind. Yeah. 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 So what else do I, no, I, I thought I'm going to learn how to jump. I put inserts in my last board, but the jumping thing, I don't know. It's, it's not my, it's not my thing. Better, harder carving in, in riding downwind waves is, it's fun. That's really a basic guy. I like tacking. I like jiving. I like, I do duck jive, but I'm not a trick master. I do 360 backside, like where I'm toe side. And then I go with my back into the wind and come out again. So your skills on the water, would you say it's like naturally God, natural God given talent that you have, or is it just practice or what helps you get better? Hell no, I think I'm a klutz. Now, the whole thing with talent, if you look at the guys that are really good, I am 90% sure they're really good because they try really hard. The guys I look up to is like the Kalamas or lately with this new sport is Kane the Wild. They're out there virtually six days a week from one o'clock till sunset. And so they pay their dues and time put in is is skill uh, skill set learned. Um Sure, there's. it does help to learn a little bit about 
to know about outrigger canoes and catching bumps and but now with this new foiling thing, we ride a different section of the wave anyway. We ride the backside of the wave where with outrigger canoeing or SUP, you ride the front side of the wave. The energy available to us is at a different place in the ocean. So that part is really not all that helpful. Even the surfing part with SUP, you tend to be go a little bit slower with the wing. You now you suddenly have a couple more horsepower. So you gotta you gotta manage that speed and, and power that you got in your hand. And get rid of it in a way. Anyway, no, uh, things don't come naturally to natural to me. I try hard, and I look at other people, and sometimes I copy, and sometimes I do. I create my own style. Yep. So I wanted to ask you about this. You know, this is going backwards. A few years ago, I did the Eleven Cities tour, and I was doing some research, and I saw these pictures of you using this yes. board. And I want, I've always wanted to ask you about that, but so it looks like you're standing, like you're pretty much standing on the bottom layer of the board. Is that correct? Like pretty much yes. it's hollow board with, and you're standing on the bottom. So how did that work? And what was your experience with that? I had to get, I wanted to write um, a lengthy board. I thought the glide would be important. And this was the first 11 city tour. And two-piece was uh, mandatory because you can't really get a 16-foot object in the plane with you. So I needed a way to create a rigid connection. And then some, some thickness did help. And then instead of building it hollow, I built this master, this piece of styrofoam that I wrapped a skin around it. And my wife at the time got the identical board. So at least I was using the master for more than one board. So I wrapped the skin around it and I put a deck on top of it and I built a compartment so the board wouldn't sink in case it would take on water. So the front, the manu, as they call them, would I think with a six man, the front area had buoyancy, but yes, you were standing on the bottom of the board. And I put a little steering system in it for cross breeze. It's pretty rounded, kind of almost like canoe-like. It's a pretty decent board. Part of it was the operator. Me, I didn't practice very much in flat water. It's just not my thing. I'm too busy either you know, surfing or building boards where I'm never diligent enough to either get my nutrition right or my, my, my cardio. But I had fun building them. I left them there and I managed to get them there because they were two-piece, so they're eight foot. That's the history behind those uh, those two I brought with me. Two-piece boards, where did they come apart? Like right in the middle? In the middle, yeah. They have hard inserts in them and they have, no, actually not in the middle. I think just slightly forward of center. They, right at the edge of the Manu, they were coming apart. Okay. Do you have pictures of them there? Yeah, I don't know. Can you see the screen sharing right now? You can't see that? No, I cannot, oh wait. Yes. So yeah, they were coming apart right in front of my toes that right at front of the, the steering. Uh, um, but anyways, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you were able to take it on the plane with you even, huh? Yes. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's not easy to travel with a big stand-up race board. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a tough race for sure. The 11 Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was fun. It was super nice just staying with everybody on the boat too and having your stuff on the boat and going from one town to the next. I mean, it's, it's a definitely a cool experience. Can de definitely recommend it for anybody. Yes, it's pretty. Yeah, that, uh, it's old, you know, 15, yeah. 16th century villages that you go through. Yeah. Yeah. 
beautiful places yeah with the windmills everywhere and then going through the countryside and stuff it's yeah it's definitely a cool experience no doubt yeah yeah okay so let's go back to the learning and the mental aspect of it a little bit like you talked earlier about some days everything's perfect and you're superman and then the next day uh, you're a kook again so yeah yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's the equipment, maybe, but I think a lot of times it's just down to your mental state, your what state of mind you're in, and so on. And it seems it's like sometimes everything works perfectly, and you just like in a groove, and everything clicks, and you're in tune with the waves and the wind and everything. And other yeah. days you're just not. But is there anything that you do to get into that state of mind, or do you have any tricks on getting there? And not being a cook? No, I don't. Uh, I wish I did. Uh, I wish I was more in tune with getting into that Zen moment. It's awesome when it's there, when you have a good time and your equipment works. And I, with SUP, I can more so than with wing foil. To be honest with you, Robert, I don't have that, that control of when I'm getting a, a Zen session out there sometimes i think oh i live too much of a rushed lifestyle too much on my mind i often juggle several projects uh, in a week and we all do and i sometimes think oh that's my nemesis i gotta just have more leisure time but sometimes i try to cram a session in and and i have an awesome time and i sometimes have all day and it's crap so no mystery okay yeah, this, I wish I knew what the magic formula was too, you know? Yeah, I, that's why I you, ask you can, everybody. You can sell me, a, <laughs> sell me a pill or a booklet. <laughs> yes, I'll nice. buy it. <laughs> okay, so do you have other hobbies that you do other than water sports? Or do you have anything that you do for inspiration? You mentioned reading already, but anything else that you like to do in your free time? or? Yeah, I like I like bicycling. It allows me to even in a straight, fairly boring road that I often do. My, I get my thoughts uh, in place and it clears me. I used to go to an early morning to a gym. I haven't gone there for now since COVID for a while. But sometimes some some fairly boring exercises would get my all my thoughts more aligned. So the bicycling I like. I used to be into free diving, but I haven't done I haven't done that for too long forever i like to hike uh bike no i'm pretty much a workaholic i i love my shop so i don't look at that as work even in my planned holidays my wife is in charge of my schedule i happen to have like holiday this week i'll still go down to my shop and tinker with stuff that i want to build that's really my passion and really i'm really not all that good in many other things but no tinkering and bicycling that's about it well, yeah, I think tinkering with stuff and working with your hands and building things is very therapeutic for me too. I love doing that. And I think a lot of yeah. times when you work on a computer and stuff like that, you you miss out on that actual, like the physical working yes. with your hands. Even if you design a board on the computer, it's not the same as touching it and, and building it with your hands, I think. So you kind of already answered this, but I always ask people like during the pandemic, a lot of people got stuck inside and had to change your routine and a lot of people felt lonely depressed or isolated anxious yeah. and so on so if you're having a bad day is there anything anything you do you said bicycling walking hiking basically just taking your mind off things do you have any other 
things that you like to do or recommendations? Yeah, I, I find it sad that not much was discussed about the good parts of the pandemic in terms of what it was also able to possibly give people. We all live rushed lifestyles or, or I'm guilty of it at times and I feel like I share it with other people. And I think especially in the early days, the pandemic had gave less traffic on the road, more uh, freedom to pursue things you can do outside. Suddenly there was less work that had to be done. Government checks were coming in, uh, support. So we're always talking about the ne negative things of, of COVID. And of course, it's terrible. Uh, people got sick and died. But I do think we were finally given time to ponder about our own lives or read more or watch a sunset, uh, sunrise, be outside. And I don't know, we wanted to go back to where we came from pre-pandemic, but not everybody was always happy with that. So it's like, wait a minute, there's an opportunity for change. Let's grab it. And, but I, I don't know, a few people did. And, and maybe the people wing foiling, uh, going out surfing. Yeah, we did. But I don't, maybe in the inner city, if you live in Detroit in, in the fall or winter, yeah, my story doesn't work. We live in Hawaii, obviously uh, sunset or sunrise or being outside does work. But there's things that you can do when physical distancing was required i feel get away from the computer you can still be outside i i think even if you even during the pandemic there were people with complete lockdown where you couldn't even go outside and so i'll take that back but there's not that many places that had that much restriction anyway i felt like we all want to go back to where we came where what was what before before the year and a half but it wasn't that great for some people anyway so maybe not many people grab the opportunity for change. That's how I see it. it the news especially, it was all about the bad news and the negative aspects. Man, I'm just over it. I did recognize that the news is driving down negative news to sell, to sell more papers. And, and neither am I one that has conspiracy th theories or believe, doesn't believe in masks or vaccine. I'm all pro that and and getting over the, the disease and, and, and mass immunity is, it would eventually be a good thing. It's a long-winded answer, but I do feel like you can still be outside. And yeah, yes, we can be in the water, but yeah. Or pursue a hobby, uh, learn how to cook better or whatever it is that you never had time for. Yeah, 100% yep. agree. I think what you said too, I think here in Hawaii, a lot of people realized how nice it is when there's no tourists everywhere and less rental cars on the road and just having, and like, I was talking to my wife too. It's like, why do we need to go back to having 30,000 people coming every day when maybe it's better to have 15 or 20,000 people arrive every day. We don't need the, it's more about the quality of the tour, the people that come, not the quantity. It's a difficult, a difficult question, but do we, do we really want to go back to how it was before? There's a lot of, Definitely, there was a lot of good things that happened during the pandemic, too. Yes. So, totally agree with that. Yes. What about foiling? Like, I, I, I like to call myself a foil addict or crazy, almost obsessed about foiling. At least it seemed like when I first got into foiling, I was obsessed by it. And then when I got into wing foiling, the kind of same thing happened. I was totally obsessed again. And do you feel that way? And 
do you think there's like a, a dark side to that or a downside to being that obsessed about something? I'd love to have a bigger garage so I could store more shit. And I thought <laughs> windsurfing is bad with the amount of equipment that I had. And then people were like, oh yeah, small board, one wing, it's all good. But it's pathetic how much gear I have now. <laughs> so that's that would be the dark side is the amount of money I, I spend. And I get my stuff cheap and I make half the stuff myself. But yes, yeah. I'm an addict. And, and I'm absolutely blown away that what we do the sport is even possible i feel like i live in a science fiction movie we ride this wave that is i don't know 12 inches tall and we ride it for half a mile or a mile i never even dreamed of it even with an outrigger canoe you couldn't do it and it's like the energy that you can harness it's it's staggering it's awesome and the silence that you suddenly are given no more chatter from the board hitting the surface, the hitting the ocean. It's And you can discuss, you can describe that to a surfer and it's, yeah, but you're not in touch with this, the ocean anymore. And it's, you haven't done it yet, have you? They don't know, <laughs> but that's okay. Because, But anyway, I find it, it's a mind-blowing sport and I'm super stoked that I learned this and I was in a period that I learned it from pretty crappy equipment to now pretty decent equipment it's so much fun and yes i'm an addict and yeah, yeah. sometimes i describe it as uh, almost having superhuman abilities the foil makes you feel like like batman with a flying suit or something like that like you can do stuff that nor mere mortals can't do you know yes. <laughs> i don't know something like that yes. that's yeah. the feeling yes. you get right and yeah and seeing the america's cup in new zealand several months ago and those guys take it to another level they i think it's 12 knots and they're going 40 40 miles an hour 50 miles an hour it's just there is no way that, that anything like that is possible even four or five years ago and those catamarans five years four or five years ago in the caribbean were top of the line and now with those single hulls with those arms coming out that's no uh, chance it's just uh, mind-blowing yeah and the video footage available and, and i'm stoked that the winging brings the foiling to the masses because i think if it was up to sup and prone the sport would have a limited potential to to transcend but now i think the wing we, we can grab now we can grab hardcore surfers that never that laughed at windsurf or wind sports in general they are laughing at man that's for kooks and now hardcore surfers are like oh this looks fun i can do this where the sup straight sup without the foil was never able to do that the, the yeah, hardcore surfers cool looked at the sup board and said, man what's this dorky big giant piece of foam doing but now surfers are switching to this pretty cool yeah yeah totally i think especially like they get into it through prone foiling, prone foil surfing. And then once they try a wing and they get that experience of just flying on the foil the whole time and not having to yeah. paddle anymore, it's like that's yeah. like a whole nother dimension. Plus being able to do it anywhere in the world, right? You don't need a wave. You don't need a boat. You can just grab a wing and yeah. go wing foiling. I do, I do feel like it's a bit of a financial not struggle, but it's an expensive sport, huh? To get some decent yeah. equipment, you're you're at forty five. It also takes up a lot of space. Yeah, like if, especially if you try to leave the foil and the board together, then you need a van or something. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's definitely not a cheap sport, and not something if you want to really just be a beach bum and work at a bar or something like that, and and 
be on the water all day. It's hard to do that yeah, to, yeah. to spend that kind of money on. It's more, it seems more like a sport for wealthy professionals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, like that, that's the bummer part. That will be a limiting factor on making the sport even bigger. Because you think about it as some decent, the force setup is close to 1500. The board, maybe they'll come down to, I don't know, under a thousand, but most of the stuff is 1500. So mm -hmm. now you're at three and then you want two wings. That's another 1500. So now you're at 45. So uh, yeah. I don't know. That's, and then you want, oh, you want to buy another front wing. Now you're at $5,000. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is that everybody that gets into it, they're very price conscious about everything and they want yeah. to spend the least amount of possible and so on. And they, they're trying to stick to their budget. But then yeah. once they get hooked on that feeling, all of a sudden, yeah. that all the budget doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> they just, they just, just spend <laughs> yeah. whatever the best thing they can get, and all of a sudden, the, the budget doesn't matter. Yes, but somehow they figure out how to do it. Yeah, but anyways, is there anyone you want to thank for supporting you over the years, or that's helped you out, or? Um. Yeah, I really enjoyed the days of learning how to downwind foil with Alan Cadiz and Ken Winner. And Ken would go out with us down Malika runs, but he threw out his arm, his shoulder. And so he tinkered with some other way to join us. And so he came up with this 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 idea and I laughed at him for half a year or so. We didn't even have a name for those things. We called it wing ding thing, whatever, wingy. And then I was like, ah, that sport is goofy and what's this this thing in your hand why not just go with a paddle so he was persistent and he made it all work and he put that sport on the map i enjoyed being there when that happened and seeing it all grow other than that appreciation yeah everybody that tinkers and try to make the equipment better i i always am appreciative of, of, of whoever comes up with a better piece of, of gear and it comes from all over the world. France is quite busy doing it. They've been at it early with hydrofoiling mm -hmm. earlier than in Hawaii, I think. And mm -hmm. then in river, they're trying really hard and we try hard. We have the luxury of no seasons and quite a few innovative out of the box thinkers in all the islands. So that's cool. Yeah. No. So who can you recommend to speak to on this interview show? Who else would you recommend to, to, talk for wing foiling cool. in particular uh, it'd be cool i don't know if he did ken already but he's an important guy I've been, and it, I've been emailing with him but he says he's too busy but at some point i'm gonna try to get him on ken winner for sure because yeah, uh, yeah alan, I, I alan just, Kadis talked about that too like how he started with the wing and at first it seemed silly but then he saw him like jiving back and forth and it looked like uh, poetry in motion he said so you that's when he wanted yeah. to try it yeah <laughs> Maybe send uh, Ken Winner some really good piano music in a CD or two so you can entice him. He'll have a laugh at that. He'll be like, how did you know that I... Ken's passion is piano. He plays really good piano music. He has a grand piano in his living room. Maybe have a laugh at it. and Because he's very much does not want to be in the limelight. He does not enjoy camera work. And he chose it that way for a reason. And so it'd be hard to get him on an interview like this, but he does earn his, he, he should, because he brought this sport to all of us. There's a, there's a, some guys in Australia that are trying hard. There's a guy that I buy my, my wings from. His name is, he used to work for Starboard. That does make McCurcher, yeah. McCurcher, uh, um, Scott uh, McCurcher. 
Scott McCurcher, it would be cool. Lincoln Dews is a cool character. He does a lot of the sailing boat delivery, sailboats. Let's see, winging for winging or hydrofoiling. Maybe some girls get get some female. Yeah. There's a really good female Maui athlete, Annie. I don't know her last name. Annie Record. I already, I already yeah. interviewed her, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. And Glenell is here on Oahu. She's really good too. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's, I definitely want to interview women too, not just men for sure. And then Andrea Muller, she, another oh, girl that, that, that would be open to it. A legend with SUP, big wave, and now winging. She's probably a force to reckon with where the downwind comes into play. She's training long distance falling i can give her your i can give her the your con the contact to you who else who else man that, get that's, a, that's a good list already just yep. thank you like usually when i check the google analytics for the video only about five percent of the people actually that click on the video are still watching now so do you have any special message for the, the foil crazy people that are still watching? If you're an, if you're a novice, it's a hard um, thing to wrap your head around. But at some point, getting smaller, just equipment just big enough is the goal. Get rid of lift and replace it with forward speed. It sounds a little vague, but a higher aspect wing, thinner, shorter fuselage, smaller rear thing, a wing, and the right board, just enough volume because the the bigger boards are harder to control. All that area in front of the wing, the, the hydrofoil wing, is is board that is moving you up and down and harder to control. So get your equipment down to just enough size. Yeah, if somebody wants to learn, maybe lend them your stuff. Send them to the right place too. Don't send them into an area that you enjoy right now, but send them to a beginner place because you got to remember that we're all beginner kooks out there, and so. It's important to not intimidate people by by giving them too advanced of equipment. I think, yeah. What else can I? That's uh, all good advice. So, if yeah. somebody wants to order a custom board from you, how long does it take, and what do they have to do, and around how much can you expect to pay for a custom wing foil board? Um, it depends on volume. They start at uh, a prone board, start at, I believe, a thousand, and a SUP, a big SUP downwind board would run all the way up to 2000, depending on the volume. There's some info on oneflyingdutchman.com that you can make a down payment there too. I'm busy. I'm a one man show. I built I built all the stuff myself. And so the earliest you can get a board is probably just before Christmas. But I don't work 60 hours a week anymore. I work 30 hours a week. So. You have to wait. And yeah, on my website, oneflyingdutchman.com. Good info. Get on the list. You don't have to make up your mind on what you want. But if you're never on the list without that down payment, all, all we can do is talk, but you're never going to get a board. Um, and you, you said about one board a week is what you build approximately. Yep. That price between one to $2,000 is about the same what you would pay for an imported board too, if it's carbon construction and so on, right? It's I'm, not really I'm sometimes, that much more expensive. No, I'm sometimes cheaper. The, the, the drawback with me is patience, but uh, you get what you want. And I really enjoy the conversation with people and fine tuning that. I can offer those prices because I don't have much overhead. How, my, how much time do you give people? Sometimes I feel like when you do custom orders, you spend so much time talking to the people that you would have to almost charge extra for that. Yeah, but 
how much do you limit the amount of time you spend talking to people or is it just you'll go on for hours if you need to i'll go on because it, it all washes out some people know exactly what they want and some people will say it's up to you mark you've seen me foil make what you want but i do have i do feel obliged to to listen half the success of a, of a good equipment is for shaper and builder is listening and no i don't limit it i do limit it when they didn't make the down payment and at some point i'm like are you going to order a board or are you going to order it from your neighbor and you want to milk me for information yeah. so I, but uh 95 of my customers are respectful and they know that i've been around the block and so they're not gonna you're not trying to waste your time telling no, you what their not. surf trip to mental wise or something like that <laughs> yes yes yeah no all is all is good in that yeah. aspect yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, awesome. And I do appreciate your time and thanks for not charging me for your time. <laughs> yeah, of course not. No. And everybody yeah. else that's listening, it's all free, good stuff. Yeah. Tons of good information. Really appreciate it. And yep. yeah. And so if somebody wants to order, just go to, is it flyingdutchman.com? Is that website? Uh, the word, the word one, uh, O-N-E uh, oh, in front one, of it. I'll put the link down below too in the description if anyone wants okay. to link to it. Thank you. And yeah, thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate your time okay. and have a great yes. rest of your day. Aloha. Okay, you too. Take care. Thanks for doing this, Robert. Yeah. Okay, Mark has one more thing he wants to talk about, wetsuits. Yeah, I think something the when your knees start, so some protection on your knees in terms of pants. I've seen people even here go to Walmart and get knee pads. Uh, maybe it looks a little dorky and you can get rid of them after a couple of weeks, but to protect your knees. And because it's obviously a wind sport, I like smooth skin, long sleeve wetsuits, two mil, enough to keep the wind off your, off your skin. And it does offer a little bit of protection in case you get nicked or something but it's easy to get cold i find and you'll fall in the water a thousand times so you're in the wind in the water in the wind in the water so it's easy to get cold and so investing in a good wetsuit tight fitting good thing yeah that that makes sense and, and what you said too about like especially when you're beginning you spend a lot of time on your knees and then sometimes you're like kneeling on the board and you tip off and your knees just slide over the deck pad material. And that yes. just like rips up your shins and your knees. And, yes. and another thing that I've seen people sometimes have foot straps with exposed screw heads. And then sometimes the screw heads get like little sharp edges on them. And that's, yes. you have to be super careful with that. That'll just tear up your shins if you slide off of it, off of your board. Yes. Yeah. And in the beginning, I don't think any beginner is, should have foot straps. It's, it's yeah, for day no two. foot straps for beginners for day two. Yeah. Um, well, or, or later. I mean, yeah, if, learn if at all. <laughs> yes. Yes. So do you re recommend that people learn to switch stance right away? Or do you think that's optional or there seems to be too? Yeah, it, it would be good to switch stand right away. It's easier on the body. And I don't know how you're going to learn to get on foil toe side in the beginning. It's just too hard. You obviously in the beginning going to struggle on, on one side, your non-favorite side, but learning how to, if you're say regular foot, which is left foot forward, I, I think left foot forward. Yeah. And so you're going to, and the way the trade winds here, at least are, you have to get off the coast of goofy foot. So it is a little awkward, but I think you're ultimately going to pay more of a price by not learning it. 
Uh, again, you can go upwind better too if you're if you're naturally footed on the board. Your switching, angle is better. That's my take. What's it? Any tips on switching your stance while you're up on the foil? Beforehand is most likely better in the beginning, and I do it before I'm going to attack or jibe. But there's no right or wrong. You can do it halfway through, or I've seen the smooth operators do it during or some people do it after or some people do one side before and the other tack or jibe they do it after no right or wrong yeah i'm i can't even do it yet so I do, that's why i always try to get tips for that <laughs> i, uh, I always yes. just ride with my feet in the same position but i was interviewing gunner last week and he said he does a little pump and then while the while the foil is coming up he puts his back foot to the front and then moves the back foot the front foot to the back so while the foil's coming up, he puts his weight forward. And yeah, so, I, I agree with that. And your, your, your rear foot always has to come forward first. You can't put your forward foot rear. It's your rear foot moving forward. And I do a bit of a shovel and I sometimes do a little bit of a touchdown. So I have uh, a little bit of a, I don't know, uh, it helps out a little bit on, the, on a small tap down. <laughs> Just, it's a tap down and then I bounce back up. And then in that moment of touching down, I have my feet switched. Okay. Yep. All right. Good. Anything cool. else? Any other magic tips you have? <laughs> uh, to say. Magic tips? No. Well, you mentioned it earlier on. Yep. Go I was going to say, what about injuries? Have you had any injuries and do you do any like, exercises for wing foiling that prevent injury or any other tips like that i know as you get older it's always more likely that you hurt yourself or have well, you had any issues all, with the shoulders or wrists or any elbows anything like that yeah but i personally get better looking every morning so i don't i'm not dealing with okay. that like me <laughs> <laughs> but no i'm just kidding man I, I do think we've got to be careful for our wrists and our finger joints because it's tough i use my fingers already shaping boards i'm still holding a planer but it is hard on my wrists moving that wing especially when you're riding in a downwind conditions is like it's hard holding that wing all the time that's why maybe a boom is a little bit easier on the joints who knows all kind of all remains to be seen i do think riding toe side switch foot is a little bit easier on the back but any tips now the wetsuit is a good one obviously the normal thing is just sunscreen man even if you think you're cold you're it's brutal the, the uv and so I wear a hat now, and the wetsuit is really helping out. You barely need any sunscreen, hat, and a wetsuit, and you only got your nose and ears a little bit. I have no. a question for you that's unrelated, but you said you're a coffee fanatic like I am too, but like, how do you prepare your coffee? Do you use a French press or espresso, or what? how do you make your coffee in the morning? Espresso machine. I got a nice espresso machine, and I buy a medium dark roast, and yep. Do you yeah. just drink it black or do you put, what do you put in your coffee? I used to, but I moved to the dark side and I bought cream now. So I'm not, no more straight rocket fuel. I, I drink cappuccinos, I'm afraid to say. Yeah. <laughs> Gone soft. Yeah. Whipping cream just makes it so much better, I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I'm, I come with where I, I can, I eat pretty fat, fatty foods. I eat avocados, drink beer, mayonnaise, massive amounts stay skinny so i have that luxury so 
Mm. It doesn't matter if I drink fat. And yeah. Yeah. But I think actually drinking fat in the morning is, is a good way to fuel yourself because it gives you like sustains, like sustainable energy. It seems like Spiky, fat. Um, up. Yes. And it's good for your brain too. It's like brain food. But yeah, what about nutrition? Do you have any special things you do in terms of nutrition or do you just eat whatever and stay skinny and healthy? I do stay skinny, but my wife cooks really good and we buy organic food. But no, I don't pay. I used to pay more attention. I really like the product line of Hammer Gel, but I'll be honest, I haven't done it in the days when you and I used to do the, the crossings. I don't think you can do those type of exercises without scientific help from a really reputable brand because you just boink. But with wing forwarding, you expend less energy. I'm not exhausted anymore at the end of a session. But it, it would help me the next day if I drink some recover, right? I'm not disciplined enough, but it would be wiser for me to do that. Instead, I drive to the store and buy beer. <laughs> but I shouldn't. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a serious athlete anymore. I'm a serious fun machine now. Yeah. Different focus. So so from the food that you could get it, that you can get in Holland, like the good bread, good cheese, good beer and things like that. What do you miss the most? What can't you get on Maui that you would eat in, in Holland when you're home? I used to be a bit of a beer snob and thinking, oh, the European wines, the Belgium beers, sorry, the European beers are so much better, but there's so many good American beers now. And even the cheese is good. And I'm sorry to say, even Costco makes a really nice whole grain bread. And what do, I, what do I miss about Holland? There is some really sharp aged cheeses that are like, yeah, awesome over there. And this is good. And there's some typical winter foods that we I used to enjoy when, when you go ice skating, when the winters were still cold. Uh, split pea soup is good. There's, there's mashed potatoes that are really good. The, the, Holland is a potato country. What else do I miss? Nah, more than anything, the ambiance and the fact that it's a little bit cozier in in restaurants or outside patios and in places you can sit outside, have your coffee or your beer. Hawaii is not a cozy place to 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 sit down in a restaurant. There is some good places, but you can't sit outside here, except if it's Mama's Fish House, but then you need some type of wicked Amex credit card to pay for it off. So, yeah, nah, I don't miss much about Holland, except my family. Yeah. Do you have kids or no, no children? No, no kids. Dog, cats, chickens. That's it. <laughs> yeah. When's the last time you traveled outside of Hawaii? It's been a year and a half since I got back uh, from Europe. Yeah, January, and I think we're discussing the severity of, of COVID right around that time. So it's, what is that now? Almost a year and a half? Yeah. yeah and like I am going in October, November back home. My, my dad's getting old. I want to see him. And yeah. do, you, do you miss traveling? Or for me, I, I in a way, I really miss it. But it's also nice not to have that disruption in your life all the time because in a way like that the jet lag and all that kind of stuff like disrupts your life pretty major way it does easy on the budget and on all that what i do miss is i find hawaii an awesome place to live but in terms of inspiration for me in the composite world or even entrepreneurial it's, it stifles me here a little bit it's deadened by by the amount of 
knows that I get if I want to start something new or if I need different materials, the tra- either transportation or just I lack that. When I'm in, uh, where I'm from in, in that part of, of Holland in The Hague, there's a couple universities with some smart people trying new things. Innovations are really in the foreground there, and and that part of the industry is really promoted. And the same I have when my wife's from New York, and we go to the city, and I I love the entrepreneurial spirit there, and crazy fashion, and not that I'm a fashion freak because I always walk with the same T-shirt and the same pair of shorts, but uh, I do seeing it and and being influenced, but I miss that part. But I'll get it back in a year or so or half a year. It's not like I wake up daily going, oh man, I gotta go. Or like you said, man, I, I hate the the preparation for travel and and the time in the plane. I'm grumpy because I can't afford or I choose not to spend money on first class ticket because I'm too mm-hmm. cheap. Uh, but I should uh, because putting me in a on a small seat for six hours yes yeah it takes 19 hours to get to that part of holland yeah and same with you in berlin it's not easy to get to so yeah and then the time difference is 12 hours so it takes you almost two weeks to fully adjust to those that time difference and then it's time to go back already right yes yeah (laughs) yeah and i found too like during the pandemic for myself personally that i started going like on hikes that i've never been on before and just like really traveling a lot of it is just seeing new things and going on on an adventure but you can there's so many places that i haven't been to yet like for example hikes that i've never been to with views that i've never seen before here right here on my island and close close to my house so a lot of it is you can have that same feeling of adventure i think closer to home yes i agree yep yeah cool thanks for sharing some more thoughts i it's funny how it seems like kind of trivial stuff, but I obviously we both enjoy talking about it. And I think people enjoy listening to it, too. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and for us, we think it's all comes easy for us, but too, but we learn it the hard way. And yeah, like I said, with the wetsuits and, and just being comfortable and baby steps, it's a pretty difficult sport, I find in general. So it's so, also like sometimes I tell people it's you're learning two things. You're learning the, how to handle the foil and the board. And you're yeah. learning how to handle the wing. So try to learn like one one thing at a time. If you can learn how to foil first, maybe behind a boat or something like that. And if you can learn how to handle it with the wing on the beach as much as you can, or just on a, on a stand-up paddleboard, like you said. And then just, yep. yeah, try to learn them separately and then put them together. But yeah, uh, Glenel was saying, just enjoy the learning. Enjoy that pain that you're going through. <laughs> yes. It's yes. kind of part of the fun. I yeah, I agree. But yeah, it's I not agree. as easy as it looks, but you can, I would say it's a pretty, it's definitely doable. It's, don't yes. give up too easily. Don't give up no. too easily. No, most people that are trying it get hooked and uh, I haven't talked to many people said, ah, man, I give up. Too difficult. Not for me. Yeah. So, I see a lot of used equipment on Craigslist, but it's probably just people that, are moving up to the next step. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. All right. Thanks, Robert. I hope you get a bunch of custom orders as a result of this. I'm sure you will. Oh, no, then I have to go back to work. We don't want to do that. You'll have to work more. Sorry. Send them your way. (laughs) Yeah, send them to me. You have boards in stock? We have some wing boards. Yeah, we have the boards called the Wingmaster. So those are nice um, boards. 
Actually, those are the only foil boards we have right now. We're sold out of prone foil boards. We're sold out of stand-up foil boards, but we're getting more soon. So we'll have okay. stuff back in stock again. And we have those PPC wings that are great. I told you about those earlier. Yeah. Okay. Right on, Mark. Yeah. All, right. All right. Thank Take you. Care. Bye. Okay, that's a wrap for another great episode. I think Mark Rappahorse was such a good guest, funny, entertaining, and a great story. Clearly someone who lives his life to the fullest, following his dream, and trying to find a good balance between working, the, doing the things he loves, and also having fun and living a good life, having a good relationship with his partner, and getting out there and staying healthy and all that. So that's always a balance that I'm trying sometimes struggle with, having a business and loving what you do, but sometimes being a workaholic and doing trying to do too much at once. So sometimes finding that good balance is, is challenging in life. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. And hey, if you liked it, please click that thumbs up button down below and also subscribe to our channel if you're not already a subscriber. We're gonna have a new video posting every single day for the month of June, 2021. So join us for those videos. It's gonna be challenging to put out a new video every day, but I'm gonna do my best and appreciate your support. So thanks for watching. See you on the water. Aloha.